Welcome to Paddling the Blue. With each episode, we talk with guests from the Great Lakes and around the globe who are doing cool things related to sea kayaking. I'm your host, my name is John Chase, and let's get started Paddling the Blue. Welcome to today's episode of Paddling the Blue. Dan Carr, volunteer extraordinaire and friend of Jonathan Hearn and Katie Sylvester from episode 76, joins me today to talk about the Main Island Trail. This trail extends 375 miles along the shoreline with more than 250 islands. And Dan is going to share some of his favorite stories and a few of the must-visit islands along this paddler's paradise. Before we get into our chat with Dan, if you're not already a subscriber to OnlineSeaKayaking.com, you are missing out on some great content and a growing community. Visit OnlineSeaKayaking.com and use the coupon code PTBPODCAST, Paddling the Blue Podcast, at checkout, and you'll get 10% off up to 12 months of your subscription investment. So with that, enjoy today's episode with Dan Carr. Hi, Dan. Welcome to Paddling the Blue. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, Dan, what got you started with the Maine Island Trail? I'd been a lifelong paddler when we moved to Maine about 34 years ago. And uh, I learned of the Maine Island Trail Association. I really don't even remember how what I learned, how I learned of uh, the Maine Island Trail Association, but joined up and have been a member and volunteer over the last 20 years. So were you a sea kayaker when you when you moved there? I was a kayaker. I had done more whitewater boating. Uh, I think we moved here with, with uh, one child and a, a beat-up old whitewater boat and a 18-foot Grumman canoe. <laughs> so what was it about sea kayaking that uh, get converted you, I guess? Well, just that the incredible diversity of places you can go on the coast of Maine much of the most beautiful places in the coast you really can't see from the road or from the mainland. When we first moved here with those boats, I often went out and explored some local islands in a whitewater boat. And on calm days, we took the family out in protected areas in the Grumman <laughs> aluminum canoe. And that really started off our interest in the coast of Maine. Okay. Now, we talked a little bit with um, John Her- Jonathan Hearn and Katie Sylvester. I-, I talked to them in a previous episode, and they give yep. us a little bit of background on the Main Island Trail, but tell us more about the Main Island Trail. Sure. The Main Island Trail is a, a string of islands and mainland properties where users can spend the day or camp for the night. I think of it as a string of beads that run, run along the main, main coast from the southernmost point <laughs> bead to the northernmost bead is about 375 miles. All of the uh, locations are both islands and mainland sites have a, a wild character. They're selected for a wild character. There are a few amenities. There's a few islands that have tent platforms, but in most cases, uh, camping is on, on the natural ground. And uh, the locations are allowed to evolve naturally. There's, there's not a lot of management. They range from little to- rocky islands to uh, Islands the size of 1,500 acres. Sometimes those rocky islands disappear in a spring tide, (laughs) and the larger islands have uh, deer herds and sometimes bear and coyotes and perhaps moose. All right. So scattered over 375 miles. And about how many islands are in the the system right now? 255 island and mainland sites. Okay. And how did the Main Island Trail get started? It was started in 1988 by a pretty remarkable guy. Uh, He was in his 60s. His name was Dave Getchell, and he worked as a writer 
on the staff of a nonprofit called the Island Institute. At some point, he realized there were many islands on the coast of Maine that were owned by the state. They were essentially properties of the, of the state of Maine and should be available for people to use, but there was no information available on them. They were either unused or being misused. And he explored the islands in a, in a small boat, 18-foot <laughs> aluminum lund, and uh, hatched the idea of establishing a recreational water trail. And his idea was that the users could actually take care of the islands. It wouldn't require government maintenance. Uh, the users would, would do, the, do the maintenance. Uh, trail started with uh, 30 state-owned islands scattered between Yarmouth, Maine, a town just north of Portland, to Jonesport, about 215 miles to the northeast. So it started with 30 islands, and it's grown to 255 islands since then. Yes. Okay. And that's, I mean, that's really not that old, 1988 to today, and this is end of 2022 when we're recording this. So my math is slow, but I, was that 40 years? Something like that? 30, about 35 years. 35 years, yeah. I mean, it's not that old for, for that kind of growth. Um, what was it that really contributed to the, to the success and the, the growth from 30 to 255 in that period of time? A really a wonderful staff. Uh, Maine on Trail Association has a, has a paid staff and volunteers. You could argue that the, the biggest selling point is the, the beauty of the coast of Maine. It's really unparalleled recreational resource. And as people learned of the Maine Island Trail, they got interested and, and started supporting MIDA, and it took off. All right. And MIDA is Maine Island Trail Association. Exactly. Okay. Basically, it's, MIDA is a membership organization that knits the, the properties and the users and owners together and promotes responsible use and volunteer care for the islands. The Maine Island Trail Association is not a landowner, correct? That's right. Okay. You know, no, no land. So what, what management role do they play in the process? It's a volunteer-based stewardship uh, program. This year, volunteers uh, made about 1,600 island visits and logged about 8,000 8, hours of service uh, service includes uh, picking up trash, marine debris, and, and consumer product containers. I think in the last 10 years, it literally removed tons of trash from the islands and left them in a better better condition. Uh, other work includes trail maintenance, control of invasive, invasive plants, and maintenance of campsites. So you said 16,000 visits and 8,000 hours? 1,600 visits oh, 1600 and 8,000 8, hours. So... Over all those visits and all the trash, what makes me what makes me wonder there is, are we as paddlers leaving all that trash? No, in some cases, users are leaving behind some some trash, human waste in some cases, but it's it's mostly marine debris from marine operations and consumer products that are floating in the ocean and end up washed up on the shore of an island. Okay. That's great work that the uh, that the volunteer force does. That's that's for sure. I'm glad to hear that it's not just users that are that are leaving that trash, but hopefully uh, we all as users are are doing our part when we go into a place to, like you said, let's leave it. Make let's make sure we leave it better than we found it. You bet. So, what makes the Maine Island Trail unique versus other water trails? I think it it was the uh, the first modern water trail on salt water. It's not a prescribed trail. It's a, a listing of locations where people can visit and either day visit or camp for the night. There's not a prescribed trail 
like the Appalachian Trail or or a river trail. Yeah, so it's not a point to point kind of thing. It's just a come as you, you know you you figure out how you'd want to do it. Exactly. Okay. Some people do point to point trips, either day, you know multi day trips, and some people will do the entire trail, like uh, the folks I met this summer. All right. Now, and how did you meet them, Jonathan, Katie? That is. I I was I was down east down east Maine on a multi day paddle trip by myself. I was exploring some of the local geology and paddled up to the island they were on, Halifax Island. And it's it's a place that's quite wild, and it's not that common to see other people there. But uh, I just chatted with them briefly uh, from my kayak, and I, I, in hindsight, wish I would have stopped and talked with them some more. I found they were on week eight of a trip along the main coast, and I give them a lot of credit. Few people take the time to really savor the experience on the Main Island Trail, and they were really into savoring the experience. <laughs> yeah, they, they soaked it up, that's for sure, over an 88-day period, 88 period of time. Now, you mentioned uh, we're at 250, 255 islands now. Islands and mainland sites. Yeah, island, oh, sorry, islands right. and mainland sites. And it's scattered over 375 miles, not a linear trail, so you can figure out what route you want to take. Has anyone paddled all of the and to all of those 255 sites that you know of? I don't know that anyone has in one trip visited all 255 sites. Quite a few people have paddled the trail, and and you could argue it's it's your definition of what paddling the trail is. Mm-hmm. I did it in 2006, and at the time the trail ran from Portland, Maine to Machias, and I did it in about 250 miles in 13 days, 12 days, or 10 days of of uh, point-to-point paddling. It's been done in as little as, uh, I think, four days and 10 hours, in this case from the southern border with New Hampshire to Lubeck, the northern north, northeasternmost town in the U.S. That's an awful lot to miss in four days. It's, it really is, <laughs> and, and a lot of damage that can be done. Done to your body and doing that, but a friend of mine, young young guy, wanted to do the the Main Island Trail speed run, and and he pulled it off. I wonder if there's anybody though, in, in, even in multiple trips, you know, over the course of a year or multiple years, that has hit all of the spots. Yeah, I've I've been to virtually every every location on the Main Island Trail. Okay, and I'm I'm sure there are other people that actually Main Island Trail Association every year publishes a an app that can be used on smartphones and tablets. And there is a feature in that where you can get a badge from visiting a given location and people collect badges. I've not gone down that route, but I have been to most most sites in the, on the Main Island Trail. Interesting. All right. We'll have to uh, we'll point that out. I'll put that in the show notes and uh, we'll collect information from you a little bit later here. Uh, make sure we have that in the show notes, but we'll have to make sure we encourage people to go check out the app and, and maybe get their own badge. So we've got listeners from all over the world that listen to Paddling the Blue, and thank you to all of our listeners. And so can you tell us a little bit about what does the Maine coast look like for those that have never been there or never seen it? Oh, it's, it's an amazing place. It basically runs from southwest to northeast, and there are river discharges and uh, some bays that are chock full of islands, Casco Bay, I think used to be called, the, or another name for Casco Bay near Portland is the, the Calendar Islands because there was enough islands that you could visit one a day in a given year. 
it's an amazing, amazing place. There, for paddlers, there's there's a little bit of everything for everybody. There are tidal rivers with tidal rapids. There's rock gardening. There's very protected places that are safe in rough weather, and very exposed places that make you feel really small. <laughs> it's a feeling that I really, really like. Is a place that I use from sometimes. Sometimes this uh, places that make you feel small and make you put on a helmet are good for your soul. <laughs> is it uh, mostly protected or open water or a combination? All of the above. Okay. Uh, there's some really exposed places. One of my favorite islands is down east. It's called Ram Island in Machias Bay. There's there's it's about 26 acres. There's one tree on the island, and it rises about 80 feet above land. It has a, has a ram island. It has rams on it. Um, a local shepherd puts puts rams on the island in the summer, and uh, so it has its own wildlife. And it's just a just an amazing place, and it it makes you feel pretty inconsequential. So, what are some of your other favorite islands? Uh, there's an island at the t- the entry into Penobscot Bay in an area called Muscle Ridge, and it's uh, it's an island called Nettle Island. It's really just a it's another another very exposed place. Uh, there might be one or two trees on it. It's a very when you first get there, you think it's really not that attractive. There's there's uh, seagulls nest on it, uh, and I've camped on it in the summer when the seagulls have stopped nesting, so I don't disrupt them. But the view, uh, the sunrise and sunsets there are just amazing. And for some reason, I sleep so soundly in that island. Uh, it's just amazing. It's a wonderful place. What else? Give us some other islands. Let us in on the secret ones. The secret <laughs> ones. Oh, there's a there's an island called Powderhorn Island in in the Sheepscot River. It's quite popular. It's a combination of rocky shoreline and a, a nice sand beach and cove at the north side of the island. It's very popular. Had a wonderful experience there with a friend of mine several years ago. We were doing a I think a two night trip. And it's in the Western River section of the trail. We stopped there, and there were already two families camping there. And there are two campsites. And we were sitting sitting on the shore, debating about where we'd go to camp. One of the campers came over and said, we, "We're here together. If you guys want to camp here, we'll we'll move our tent into the site with our friends." And we really appreciate it. We set up our our camp, and this friend and I. We take trips. We oftentimes take turn turns bringing dinner. And as we sat down to start dinner, I realized <laughs> through a miscommunication, his saying that he had dinner covered meant he brought dinner for himself, and I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> and and as soon as I started, about the minute I started realizing that I was there with no dinner, a woman stepped out of the brush and said, "Hey, we're going out to get lobster." Do you want us to pick some up? <laughs> we, were, we were flabbergasted. First, we said, "Well, we have no way of cooking them." Well, we'll cook them for you. And we said, "Well, let me get money." No, no, we'll we'll get them. We we insisted and, and gave him money. And probably about forty-five minutes later, she stepped out of the brush with two plates with lobster, corn, <laughs> and beers. And we just—it was such a magical experience uh, the kindness of of people uh sharing and sharing a space and <laughs> we we're just blown away that sounds like fun classic uh, main experience uh, <laughs> of a friend that 
says she wants to write a book, The Kindness of Mainers. Yeah. On these trips, I've run into so many people and had some really fun experiences. Well, suddenly I want lobster. Yeah. <laughs> so what are some of the other must-visits? Really, every section of the coast, the trail is divided up into 10 regions, and really every region has, has some really interesting features. Casco Bay is the closest to the population center of Maine. There's quite a few islands that you can camp on and, and quite a few you can, you can use for the day. It's an interesting area, with again, with some history. One of the things I really like about paddling the Maine coast is there's interesting geology, uh, natural history, human history. Casco Bay was used as a departure point for the North Atlantic fleet during World War II, and many of the islands have remnants of old gun emplacements. There was a gun on Jewel Island, one of the main on-trail islands, that, that could launch a, a shell the size of a trash can and hit a target 25 miles away. Wow. It was never fired, and that's great. Yeah. <laughs> but a, a very interesting historic place. Just further up the coast is a, an area that I paddle in quite a bit in the Western River section that runs from a headland called Small Point to Pemaquid Point, the next headland. And there's both sand and rocky beaches, tidal rivers, including one of the larger rivers in Maine, the Kennebec, and the Sheepscot River. There's tidal rapids, tidal marshes. Uh, one of my favorite paddles I do at least once a year, but often twice a year, is to go around Georgetown Island. It's a 26-mile paddle. And in that 26 miles, you encounter every coastal landform <laughs> that exists in Maine, exposed beaches, rocky points, tidal rapids, big tidal marshes. Uh, it's, it's really a really a beautiful place. I've been always drawn to moving water, and that's, it's close to home. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's a very common place to do day paddle trips. That's cool. What was that island again? Georgetown Island. Georgetown. That's not a, an island on the trail. It's a, it's a large island. It's uh, human-occupied. There's, there's several towns there. Again, okay. a very historic place. So what's some of the history of that one? Two islands in that area, Georgetown and Arusik Islands, I think were the epicenter of Native American life in the summer. With these tidal rivers, you'd have fish runs, shellfish, seals, and other wildlife, so ready sources of food, and, and relatively shallow bays where you could, you could easily, easily paddle. Uh, and you could really see why people were attracted to those areas uh, that's are so beautiful and, and the, the abundance of food at the time. You mentioned 10 different zones or regions uh, for the trail. Does each have its own sort of personality? Yeah. The southern coast was one of the later sections to be added to the trail, mainly because there are not a lot of islands. So it, it has the greatest mileage of exposed sand and rocky beaches, small clusters of islands, gaps probably 20 miles or larger. It's uh, it's pretty exposed and, and challenging, but it's right in the backyard of a lot of Mainers. The nearest bay that's kind of off the beaten tourist track and has a real wild feel is Muscongas Bay. It's bracketed by Pemaquid Point to a place called Mosquito Head. The next bay up is Penobscot Bay. And it's uh, has rocky islands it that range from very exposed locations to quite protected. Again, another favorite place to go, mainly for camping trips. The further down east you get, probably from 
deer aisle on, the the scale gets bigger and bigger. The first really big section, Mount Desert Island, that runs from Blue Hill Bay to the Scudic Peninsula. Uh, there's a number of crossings on the order of four miles, big vistas, including views of Cadillac Mountain, which is the highest point on the eastern seaboard. The further down east you get, the, the tides are bigger, generally. Down East Maine is the largest section on the trail. It's, it's wilder even and bigger even, and uh, you start getting into the subarctic vegetation like the island that Jonathan Hearn and Katie Sylvester were on. There's a lot of treeless, rocky islands, bigger tides. And then one of the last, the last two sections on the, on the coast uh, include the Bold Coast and Copscook Bay. Both are distinguished by really big tides and currents. Now, the Bold Coast is an exposed cliffy segment. It's about 26 miles uh, long from Machias Bay to the town of Lubeck. And then it passes by West Quaddy Head. There's a lighthouse there. It's the easternmost point in the U.S. So you threw out a term there, down east. Define that for me. Down east, schooners sailing the main coast would sail downwind to the east. So the, f- the further northeast you went, you're, you go down east. So you're heading northeast, not going down as in heading south. Right. Okay. Prevailing winds from the, from the southeast, so you're going downwind okay. and to the east. All right. Just wanted to have a better understanding of that. I, yes. I've, I've heard the term before, but I've never really had a good definition of it, so thank you. Yep. So is most of the trail accessible? In in what in what way? Um, are there are there a lot of jumping off points from the mainland to be able to access all these different regions? There are, although that's one of the things that the Main Island Trail Association is working on now. With time, some of the launch points get more restricted, and oftentimes people end up paddling, uh, planning paddling trips by not where they want to go, but where they can launch and park overnight. COVID created a, a boom in use on the trail. People wanted to get out and could get out and spend time on the islands. And uh, that created some conflict, perhaps, at launch sites. So the launches started getting more restrictive. So it's a bottleneck for use of the trail. That said, the trail the trail is pretty accessible. It's, it's all in relative terms. There are some locations like Cape Porpoise that's closest to my house. Cape Porpoise is um, in Kennebunkport. And as 11 islands, Cape Porpoise was not added to the trail until probably the last uh, 10 or 15 years. It's uh, another another interesting place. Cape Porpoise was named Cape Porpoise by the explorer John Smith, who stopped there at some point. It's a, it's a nice protected harbor. That's a place where there's limited parking, but there's a, a lighthouse and there's a, there's a pier and some restaurants. And in the middle of summer, there's cars coming in and out. People stop and take pictures of the lighthouse and leave. But if you put a boat in the water and you paddle a half a mile, you end up in this little harbor with wild-looking islands around you, and it's peaceful. And it's, it's, uh, it's where we took our kids the most when we first moved to Maine when they were little. You could go out in a grumman canoe and and spend time on the islands, and the kids could tide pool and explore, and it, it's quite protected. That's one of the most common places where I think people just start camping. We we camped there for the first time in 1994, and 
the islands were not part of the trail and they hadn't been purchased by a land trust. They are now owned by a land trust. And the use was, was kind of like the Wild West. We When we camped there in 1994, there were squatters that had tents set up all summer. And they came out to the islands most of the summer on weekends and partied heavily. And there was human waste and trash spread around. That's not the case now. The Land Trust and the Main Island Trail Association make sure that, that people take care of the islands when they use them. So you're talking about the you know the the population and the and the, the waste and all that sort of thing and the use in the last few years. Are we loving the place to death? Good question. Back in the eighties, we first moved to Maine, use of the islands really took off and there were fewer islands to go to. There was a real concern of using the islands to death and that, that term is what was, was bandied about. The Man Island Trail Association established a, a management plan for the state-owned islands, and they had provisions that they could have undertaken if the islands started getting loved to death, with the addition of, of more locations to go and a, a decline in sea kayaking to some degree. I think use is, is stabilized. So what, what basic skills do people need in order to start on the Main Island Trail? It really depends on the their aspirations. Sure, uh, sure. Some yeah. of the more protected locations you can literally walk to at low tide. Cape Porpoise, the, the place I was talking about in Kennebunkport, you can walk. It's a muddy, muddy walk, but you can walk <laughs> out at low tide, which I've done a couple of times. And it's, again, a, a fairly protected place, protected launch. People go out and, and open recreational boats and canoes and camp on the islands. There are many locations on the trail that are, are like that. There is a limited barrier to entry, and then there are also locations that are, are much higher barrier to entry. Sure, So, but it is a trail for, for all levels. Absolutely. Excellent. What are the wildlife experiences like? Oh, really, really wonderful. Uh, seabirds, seals, marine mammals, it's uh, it's just wonderful. I I've had so many sort of magical experiences. Years ago, the first time I paddled up into Copscook Bay. Copscook Bay is the northeasternmost bay in the United States. Has very strong tides, and I I pulled my kayak up on a rockweed covered ledge to eat some lunch. And I was in an area where the, there's fairly large currents, probably you know up to ten knots in an area that, around an island where an island forms a chalk in a narrow neck in Copscook Bay. And uh, seals started erupting out of the water <laughs> right near this rock. And they would, as it came out of the water, they would have a, a herring or a menhaden on their, on their nose, in their mouth. And I, what I think they were doing was uh, hiding behind uh, basalt ledges that extended out from the island so they were out of the current, and when uh, schools of fish swam over top of them, they would go up vertically, grab a fish, and, and come out of the water completely. Just a, a magical thing. And that continued the whole time I was eating my lunch. They were eating their lunch. It was just super magical. <laughs> that visual of erupting seals. <laughs> yes. So I know that um, in Alaska and other places like that, you can take a shuttle to get to the more remote destinations um, and then kind of paddle back. Uh, can you do that on the main island trail? 
There are some uh, water taxi services in certain areas like Casco Bay. I've been out on some of the Casco Bay islands and, and people come out on a water taxi, unload a bunch of camping equipment and their kids and camp for the night and get picked up the following day. There's ferry service to the Casco Bay islands to human-occupied islands in Penobscot Bay. One of the early trips that we took when our kids were little, I think we had one child in diapers and we we put the 18-foot Grumman canoe in the car and, and took the ferry out to an island called Vinyl Haven. Vinyl Haven is uh, quite a large island, probably has a year-round population of about 1,200 people. And we stayed in, in a motel and the motel was built on uh, granite blocks and the tide ran underneath the motel, runs underneath the motel. It's a wonderful place, the Tidewater Motel in Vinyl Haven Harbor. And we put the canoe in and paddled around the more protected waters out in the middle of Penobscot Bay with little kids. A wonderful experience. Yeah. So that's that's an example where people can get, get taken out to islands and, and camp. In the Deer Isle Archipelago, there's a mail boat that goes out to a large island called Isla Ho. Isla Ho must be 15 miles long and probably rises about 450 feet above sea level. And on the southern tip of Isla Ho, there's a good portion of land that's that's part of Acadia National Park. And there are lean-tos and tent platforms and composting toilets. And people will take the mail boat out and camp for a few nights in a in a fairly remote place, and they can walk tens of miles of trails around Idaho, or ride bikes, or it, it's a really, really great place. So we've talked about a bunch of different islands, and it, you know it's certainly hard to be able to get details about all of those. But there is a place where you can get details of all the islands, and uh, so tell us about the guide and the app. Every year since uh, Midas started, they published a printed guidebook and. In the last, I don't know, maybe 10 years, uh, there's been a, a mobile app that has essentially this same information. The guidebook, I sort of view as the, uh, it's the entry point for, for people. If you put this on your coffee table and you have guests over, somebody's going to pick it up and start reading it and say, wow, I didn't know this even existed. But it, it has information about all the, in this case, 255 locations where people can visit it's a very comprehensive guide to the coast. Uh, there's launch information. There's information about marinas and pump-out locations for large boats. Really about half of MIDA's membership are people that access the islands through sailboats and powerboats. So again, it's a very comprehensive guide to the main coast. So for as little as $35 a year, you get this wealth of information. That's, that's a mobile app membership. You get this wealth of information about the coast of Maine and access to some really special places. So if you want to know where those composting toilets are and all those other amenities, that's in there as well? Absolutely. Okay. Does it call out specific campsites, or is that something that's kind of left to the, to the visitor's imagination to figure out where to go? There are established campsites on all the islands and, and mainland uh, sites, places that are maintained by volunteer help with Maine Island Trail Association. And is the preference that people use those established campsites as opposed to creating their own campsites? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, the, really the, the guidelines for each location would specify the camping capacity, 
there's maplets within the guidebook and the app that show where the campsites are and other other restrictions on use of the island. Basically, the island use is at the interest of the owner. So if the owner wants the use restricted, the guidelines in the in the guidebook and app are more restrictive. And if the owner has fewer restrictions, that's the case. As an example, several islands, pets aren't allowed. In general, pets are allowed under ownership, uh, strict owner control. And uh, But the preference is to leave pets at home to protect other visitors and wildlife. Are there any other common no-nos? Most islands, there are restrictions on campfires. In most cases, you have to get a permit with the state. There are phone numbers to call to get a permit to establish a campfire. Some islands, you can imagine that once an island catches fire, it's pretty hard to address it. So uh, in, in general, campfires are discouraged. There are some islands where there are established fire rings and campfires are, are okay. But in most cases, there are no bathroom facilities, uh, again, no no amenities, and in all cases, users are encouraged to use leave-no-trace practices, mm-hmm. carry their own, all their own waste, including their own human waste, off the island. You can imagine a place with relatively shallow soil and rocks uh, are pretty susceptible to human, human pollution being left behind. How often are the uh, guide and the app updated? Once a year. Okay. The guidebook's usually published in June. And the app uh, usually follows shortly after an update to the app. All right. And as a member, you get uh, you get one guidebook, right? So you don't get one new one every year. They have been publishing a new guidebook every year, which is a, a, a little bit of a quandary and something might has debated for years, the cost associated with producing a paper guidebook and mailing it every year. But every every year, the island owners get to decide whether they continue to uh, participate in the main island trail. And sometimes use guidelines change. In some cases, islands get taken off the trail, be uh, taken off use because uh, eagles decide to nest there or some other sensitive reason like that. And uh, the guide and the app get updated. So, and this is color images, maps, everything? Yeah, there's maps and maplets. There yeah. are individual maps for either regions or parts of re- regions that show launch locations, islands you can camp on, islands you can picnic on. And there are maplets, typically maplets that are essentially replications of navigational maps that show the islands and the landing points and maplets that show where the campsites are on the islands and any other amenities that might be present like hiking trails. Well, I am a complete geek for uh, for guidebooks and that sort of thing. So where would I go to get this? You would have to visit the website for the Maine Island Trail Association, www.mita.org. So it's mita.org? Yes. Okay. All right. So folks can go there and learn more about the trail, support the association's efforts, and, and plan their own Maine Island trail trip. Absolutely. Excellent. All right. Well, that sounds fantastic. Well, Dan, anything else that we should know about the Maine Island Trail? It really is a an exceptional resource. The Maine Island Trail has won many awards as uh, recognized special recreational resources. It's really unparalleled on the East Coast. It's a beautiful place, and I, in my experience, 
the real fun is knitting together the islands, the people, the history, the geology, the wildlife, and uh, you can learn quite a bit traveling the Main Island Trail. Very nice. So if somebody had any additional questions and wanted to reach out to you uh, to learn a little bit more about that, uh, how would someone do that? I would uh, direct them to the to the Main Island Trail Association themselves. Okay. And if, if there's something I can help with, they would direct the people to me. I, I've often had conversations with people considering trail trips of various lengths and the Midas staff will send them my direction because I've spent, spent a lot of time on the <laughs> on the trail and I really enjoy that role of, of talking people through certain places. I've met more and made more friends through that role. I really, really enjoy it. Well, Dan, I appreciate your time and appreciate learning about uh, 375 miles of paddling paradise that is the main island trail. And I certainly hope listeners will go and visit not only the website, but come out and visit the trail as well. And uh, maybe they'll run across you on the on an island just the same way that Jonathan and Katie did. I would love that. <laughs> so, Dan, I've got one final question for you, and that is who else would you like to hear as a future guest on Paddling the Blue? I think you should talk to a fellow by the name of John Carmody. He is a uh, accomplished paddler and a sea kayak coach who has a business in Booth Bay, Maine. And he really stands out as someone that supports the paddle sport community. He has linked paddlers up all all over the world. I had the the pleasure of doing a trip with John last year uh, in 2021. Uh, We paddled around the the West Fjords in Iceland. In that case, John linked up a, a guide service in Iceland arranged for boats to be shipped to Iceland, and they've been running uh, running trips ever since. He's really a treasured resource in Maine. All right. Well, I will definitely reach out to, or I'll connect with you offline, get John's contact information, and we'll reach out and see if we can get John on the uh, on the show. Great. So, Now, when we talked uh, previously, you, you gave me another name that you thought might be interesting as well. Yeah, John Huth. He is a, uh, a paddling buddy. He's, he's the friend that I was camping with during that lobster dinner example. He's a physics professor at Harvard. He studies particle physics. He was one of the researchers at, in uh, the CERN facility, the supercollider facility that discovered the Higgs boson particle. He is an avid outdoorsman, enjoys the coast of Maine, and he has actually written a book on primitive navigation called The Lost Art of Finding Your Way. He was inspired to study primitive navigation as a result of a sea kayaking mishap in Cape Cod where he lives. Well, he sounds like an interesting fellow as well. He's, he's a very interesting fellow. All right. Well, maybe we can get both Johns on the show. That'd be great. Dan, again, I appreciate your time. Appreciate learning about the Main Island Trail and your experiences on the trail. And, uh, and, and I certainly hope that listeners will go and experience that trail as well. Great. I hope they do. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. If you want to be a stronger and more efficient paddler, Power to the Paddle is packed with fitness guidance and complete descriptions along with photos of more than 50 exercises to improve your abilities and enjoy your time on the water. The concept and exercises in this book have helped me become a better paddler and they can make a difference for you too. The exercises in the book can help you reduce tension in your shoulders and low back, use the power of your torso to create leverage and use less energy with each stroke, use force generated from your lower body to make your paddling strokes more efficient, have the endurance to handle long days in the boat, 
drive through the toughest waves or whitewater, protect your body against common paddling injuries, and while you're at it, you might even lose a few pounds, and who wouldn't mind that? So visit paddlingexercises.com to get the book and companion DVD. Erupting seals, fresh lobster dinner, and 255 islands to explore. What more could you ask for as a paddler? Please check out the show notes for this episode, number 81, for links to the Maine Island Trail Association, where you can learn more about the trail, its history, and how to get your own copy of the guidebook and app. And I'm also going to leave a link to Leave No Trace, where you can find their seven principles for responsible minimal impact outdoor travel. Fragile spaces are becoming even more so, and it's always good for us to get a reminder of the best practices to follow in keeping those spaces beautiful for the next visitor. Don't forget, check out OnlineSeaKayaking.com and take advantage of the great video lessons that James and Simon have assembled. Please enter the code PTBPODCAST at checkout and get 10% off just for being a member of the Paddling the Blue community. Our next episode will feature none other than Dale Graybeard Sanders, joined by friends Dan Faust and Matthew Briggs. Dale is a multi-time world record holder for both paddling and hiking, currently the reigning world record holder as the oldest person to paddle the Mississippi River source to sea at age 87. Dale is still going strong, and I look forward to sharing his story with you. Until next time, thanks again for listening, and I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Paddling the Blue. Thank you for listening to Paddling the Blue. You can subscribe to Paddling the Blue on Apple Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Please take the time to leave us a five-star review on Apple Music. We truly appreciate the support. And you can find the show notes for this episode and other episodes, along with replays of past episodes, contact information, and more at paddlingtheblue.com. Until next time, I hope you get out and paddle the blue.